And good morning, EP. It's a pleasure to be with you again today and to open up the Word of God. Uh, this morning, we will finish up our series in the book of Mark, looking at not just the cross, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. Now, next week, we'll take up the book of Ruth and begin a series in the Old Testament. We look at Christ in the, in the minor prophets, and we're going to start off with Ruth. She's not a minor prophet, but uh, there's something there that helps us discover a little bit more about who Jesus is. So we want to go there first. That's next weekend. But today, we come to the end of the book of Mark. I'm going to begin reading in Mark 15, beginning in verse 42. Follow along with me in your Bible or your device or whatever you have open. Okay? And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now, Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the, summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to, to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples... And Peter, that he's going before you to Galilee. There you'll see him, just as he told you. And they went out and they fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, thank you that you remind us again of the beautiful resurrection of our King, our Savior, your Son. Father, this morning as we open up your word, I pray that you would open up our hearts, that you would transform us by your magnificent grace. Lord, if I speak anything this morning that is not from you, I pray that you would close the ears of the hearers so that all they hear is what is from our Lord God on high. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, it's, I, I, know, I know today's not Easter, um, and usually when we preach on the resurrection, it's Easter Sunday, right? And then again, isn't every Sunday kind of Easter Sunday? Because we don't meet if there's no resurrection. And that's the point, you see. I know it's not Easter, but we're coming to the book of Mark. And we're going to talk about the resurrection. Because without the resurrection, we don't have Christianity. Without the resurrection, we have no need to meet. In fact, Paul talks about the resurrection and says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if there's no resurrection then we're to be pitied above all men. Our preaching is in vain. Our very lives are in vain. Does the resurrection really matter? You bet it matters. Without the resurrection, we don't have life. 
Today we're going to talk about the resurrection and, and whether it's even a conceivable thing. Then we're going to talk a little bit about what happens when the, with the resurrection, how the old is done, death remains in the grave. But then we're going to look at the impact of it as far as a new life. Okay, So follow along with me in your text. One of the objections to the resurrection is that some would say it is inconceivable, that there's, there's no way someone could be raised from the dead. And that's not a modern thought. They would have thought the same thing then, uh, there in Jerusalem. They would have said it's inconceivable. Well, I don't know that they would have used those words. Uh, much like the Princess Bride, when they, the, the guys keep uh, hearing from Vincennes, when he says it's inconceivable, inconceivable that the Dread Pirate Roberts would be following them. And he, they finally look at him and said, you, you keep using that word inconceivable. I do not think it means what you think it means. Well, it's the same thing here. We, we, we hear people say that the resurrection is inconceivable. And at some point, we just have to look at that and say, I don't think you know what that word means. Because not only is the resurrection conceivable, but it's biblical and it's necessary Without the resurrection, we don't have life. Ravi Zacharias, uh, easily the greatest apologist of, of the last hundred years. Um, Ravi went home to be with the Lord just two days ago. Uh, so this is Thursday when we're recording this. It was Tuesday. He went home to heaven. Uh, what a beautiful man. If you haven't read anything from Ravi, I encourage you to, to grab his books. He's, he's written over 25 and his... His talks are all over the place. You can find those as well. Robbie, uh, in speaking to someone uh, that made this objection, uh, that the, the resurrection was inconceivable, they went on and they said, isn't it just a metaphor of good over evil? And he said, metaphor. Uh, metaphor. If, if the resurrection, uh, if the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ are just metaphorical, then what we have is a metaphorical forgiveness. Just a story, just a tale, just an illustration, if you will. Justification, metaphorical. There's nothing there. Eternity, eternal life, it's just a metaphor. You see, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we don't have forgiveness of sin. There is no such thing as justification. We'll talk more about what that means in just a moment, okay? Right now, just remember, it's a big word that's important. There's no, there's, there's no such thing as eternal life without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of that is just metaphorical if we don't have the re resurrection. Scripture gives us uh, several witnesses to this fact of a resurrection. The first two uh, that we'll encounter uh, were witnesses of the death of Jesus. Okay, so the passage gives us Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph was a wealthy man, uh, a member of the ruling council, so he was one that was widely respected in, in the community. Uh, he would have been, because of his wealth and his ruling status, he would have been respected not just by Jewish leaders, he would have been respected by Roman leaders. So everyone respected Joseph. So it says that Joseph went to Pilate, he took courage and went to Pilate, and asked for the body of Jesus. Well, Pilate wants to make sure that Jesus is already dead, so he calls a centurion over, another respected individual. He asks the centurion, is this Jesus dead? Well, the centurion reports back, well, yes, he is dead. You see, he had already been there. And they had stuck a sword in Jesus' side. And they knew that Jesus was, in fact, 
dead. Completely dead. So Joseph was a, a, a witness to his death. Pilate was a witness to his death. The Roman centurion was a witness to his death. But not only that, there was Nicodemus. So Nicodemus isn't mentioned here in Mark, right? But he's mentioned over in John. Where else do we see Nicodemus? And we see Nicodemus back in John chapter 3. Again, Nicodemus was a, uh, was a, 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 a well-respected man in the community, uh, but he was a man that came to Jesus by night because he was afraid to come to him by the day. So at nighttime, he comes and he asks Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? And, and Jesus has this dialogue with him that culminates in John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him, right? So that was that same Nicodemus. Uh, we know from the end of John, John 19, that Nicodemus was with Joseph and took Jesus to the tomb with Joseph to bury him. So we have Nicodemus seeing that Jesus was indeed completely of the resurrection. Now, if you're trying to prove that Jesus was, um, was, was false, that it was a, just a metaphor, or if, um, if you're trying to prove that, that it was all a fake, then you would put forth women as witnesses. And listen, before you shoot me, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to tell you what, what, what's laid out here, okay? Um, if you want to prove it's fake, then you give women as witnesses. That's not what Mark did. Mark put forth these women, Mary and, uh, and, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, as, as the first witnesses. Uh, women were not allowed to testify in court. Um, their testimony would have been not only forbidden, but mocked. I know we see in, in some cultures today that women are not given respect that, that they deserve. They're somehow seen as a second-class citizen. Well, it was the same way then. Jesus raised women back to the place where he had created them. Remember, in the beginning, God created him, created them, male and female, he created them. Um, Genesis 1, John 1, uh, we, see, we see God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit creating man and woman together, creating them in his image. Christianity raises women to the place where they are supposed to be. From, from the place that the culture at that time had pushed them to where they were second-class citizens. May, may that never be again. But at this, place, at this place, to put forth a woman as a witness would be, to, would be to ask for the crowd to mock you and to immediately reject your claim. So if, if Mark was trying to put forth uh, a, a false claim, then he would have found witnesses that would be believable, right? But that's not what he did. So all we can imagine then is that he was telling the truth. It was a true thing that these women were the first to see the resurrection and the empty tomb. So there's the respected ones, Joseph, Nicodemus, the centurion, Pilate. There's the disrespected witnesses, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus and James. Uh, plus there's the sheer volume of witnesses, over in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, the Apostle Paul is trying to make a case for the resurrection, and he mentions all of those that had seen Jesus after he was raised from the dead. He mentions Peter. He mentions the, the 12. He, 
He mentions himself as to one abnormally born. He appeared to me. He mentions not just them, but he mentions 500. He said there's more than 500 that saw him, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep, he says. In other words, what he's saying there, my friends, he's saying, look, if you doubt the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I want you to do this. I want you to go interview some of those that saw him. Now, this letter that he was writing was to the church in Corinth. Those would have been perhaps mostly still over in, in the area of Jerusalem. They could have taken a ship right across that part of the Mediterranean. They could have taken a longer journey around and gotten there. But, but Paul is saying, look, check it out for yourself. Ask the questions. See if their testimony agrees. Listen, you're not going to get 500 people that see the exact same thing that are going to tell the same story. So Paul's running a big risk here. If they had made it up, they're certainly going to have a wide variety of stories about what they saw. But it was a factually event. This Jesus appeared to more than 500. Paul's saying, check it out. There were witnesses, respected witnesses, disrespected witnesses. There was a sheer volume of witnesses that saw Jesus after he was raised from the dead. Is believing the resurrection really all that important? Listen, if there's no resurrection, we have no Christianity. We're wasting our time. If there's no resurrection, Jesus Christ is still in the grave. If there's no resurrection, Jesus is still in the grave. In the same place that Joseph Smith is still in the, in the grave, or Muhammad is still in the grave, or all the other religious leaders before and since are still in the grave. But Jesus Christ is different. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Listen, it's, it's important not only because without that we have no Christianity, but everything we long for, everything we long for is only possible because of Jesus Christ. There's that longing in every person's heart for something that is greater, for God. That it's a God-shaped vacuum that only He can fill, right? So Jesus fills that, that vacuum. Some of what we long for, think about it. We, we long for peace. Um, many of us, uh, most of us, are, uh, are quarantined inside our home during these, these coronavirus days. And some are beginning to get on each other's nerves. Uh, you're not accustomed to being at home with each other through these long hours. And, and I know I've talked with some of you, and I said, how can I pray for you? And one of the things I hear most often is, I just like a little peace. I want to get out of the house, and I want peace and quiet inside the house. We long for peace, but the peace that we long for, only Jesus can give. Listen, we can, we can try to legislate peace. We can you know, we can scream at each other, be quiet, give me some peace and quiet. You know, we can try to put together some sort of um, exercise program or relaxation techniques to bring about an outer peace. You know, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like my Labrador puppy, Bear. Uh, Bear's about 80 pounds. Uh, recently, we hung a bird feeder outside the house and and it wasn't long before the squirrel learned how to get to the bird seed. Um, I have plans for that. I'm not going to tell you what they are in this context, but I have plans to get rid of the squirrel. So, uh, but Bear sits in the sliding glass window the, there, and, and he barks, and he, he pitches a fit. He wants the squirrel gone. And I can make Bear sit. I, I, you know, I, can, I can push his rear end down, and his back end, or his front end still standing up. 
you know, and, and he's, he's shivering all over. He's shaking with, with, with the tension of, of wanting to hunt and catch the squirrel. He's sitting on the outside, but on the inside, he's hunting. On the inside, he's got a, a squirrel in his mouth. Trying to force peace into our lives without Jesus Christ is just like that. We might have peace on the outside, but inside there's still turmoil. The only peace that lasts is a peace from Jesus. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I to you. My peace I give you. Paul, in Philippians chapter 4, he said there's a peace that passes all understanding. That's the peace that we're made for, the peace that we long for, a peace that's only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we don't have that if there's no resurrection from the dead. It's not just the peace that we long for that we have there, but it's, it's a desire for love. Listen, I'm not talking about a physical, a sexualized love. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about a love between a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a love between two friends. All of us as people have a desire to be loved unconditionally. A love that nothing can shake. To be loved but not known, well, that's, that's kind of superficial. To be known but not loved, that's just cruel. Jesus Christ loves you and he knows you. The only way you can have that kind of unconditional, faithful, never-ending love is through Jesus. You say, well, well, I've got that kind of love for my spouse or for my kids. Really? Really? Think about this. Think, think about it like this. Is there ever a time when you look at your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter, your mother, your father, your husband, your wife, and you have great love for them, but at the same time, there's something selfish that wells up inside you and you want what you want when you want it. And they're getting in the way. Ever? Is everything you want from your, your children or your parents and they're just not getting it to you? And you feel that anger rise up? See, that's when your selfishness, your self-centeredness has grown to a place where it's greater than your love. That's not unconditional love any longer. It's quite conditional. There's only one that gives us that unconditional, never-ending, selfless, faithful, always faithful love. That sacrificial love, and that's through Jesus Christ. In Romans 5, 8, we read that God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, somebody might die for a good man, possibly, but never for someone that's a sinner. Jesus Christ died for you and me sacrificially. That's love. And we don't have that if there's no resurrection from the dead. You say, well, why don't we have that? Why does the resurrection matter? Listen, here's where it matters. If there's no resurrection from the grave, then hell and death have defeated Jesus. Hell, death, sin are the victors, and Jesus Christ is the vanquished right? Yes. If he's still in the grave, then those things have conquered him, and he is a vanquished foe. If Jesus Christ is risen from the grave, then hell, death, sin 
are conquered. And the King of kings is the King of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. And his, his sacrifice matters. It's effective for us. We want hope. Hope is only found in Jesus Christ. But if Jesus Christ is, has been defeated by death and sin and hell, then we have no hope. We want grace. Well, we only have a relationship with God through grace. But if Jesus Christ has been, has been vanquished by sin and death, there's no grace. We've got to start earning everything we can to have a relationship with God. And the reality is that the law will never be enough. We can never be good enough to earn our way to heaven. So there is no eternal life. There is nothing. There is no hope. We want a fame that never fades. We'll never be famous enough first to be satisfied. But as famous as we could possibly be, even if the whole world knew, knew us and revered us, there's going to come a time when that fame is fleeting and that fame is gone when we breathe our last breath here on earth. And that fame is empty and dust. You want wealth? We long, you long for wealth. Why? Because it will make you somebody. You long for wealth because it will bring you comfort and peace. Listen, if you're not somebody in the eyes of God, if you don't have the comfort and peace that God the Father gives you, then that wealth will never hold a candle. It will never give you what you want. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, everything we long for on this earth is empty. That resurrection, though, leaves all that old stuff behind because of the resurrection the old is dead old is passed away behold the the new has come let me take us over to to second corinthians in chapter five we spoke of the love of christ as seen in the crucifixion and resurrection of jesus we're going to begin reading in verse 14 for the love of christ controls us because we have concluded this that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for who their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer, because he has been raised from the dead. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The old is done because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. The new has come. Praise God for what he has done for us in this way. Jesus was dead. He killed death. He killed it completely. Not mostly dead, but completely dead. Listen, um, Another, another scene from that classic movie, The Princess Bride. The Dread Pirate Roberts, Wesley, farm boy Wesley, has been, has been tortured and nearly killed, and he's taken by his buddies to the wizard. The wizard, played by Billy Crystal, uh, looks at him and says, ah, he's dead. And well, then he, you know, his wife talks him into doing what he can to resurrect the, uh, the Dread Pirate Roberts. And uh, he, one of the, his buddies said, well, he's, he's dead. Like she said, he was dead. And he said, no, nah, he's only mostly dead. To be mostly dead is to be slightly alive. If he was fully dead, all that would be left would be to go through his pockets and look for loose change. But because he's only mostly dead, he's slightly alive. And there's still a chance. Listen, <laughs> Jesus Christ wasn't mostly dead, slightly alive. 
He was dead, dead, dead. And in the same way that Jesus was dead, 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 our whole life is dead, dead, dead. It's gone. Quit trying to resurrect your old life, your old sin patterns. Quit hanging on to the pain of the past. It's dead. Let it die. Corey Ten Boom says not only did, did, did God separate our sin as far as the east is from the west, but he buries it in the bottom of the deepest sea, and he puts a sign on the edge that says, No fishing. No fishing allowed. Let your old life be dead, gone. We spend so much energy, so much of our heart hanging on to the past. Let it go. Let it go. Some of that letting it go is immediate. And some of it takes, takes years to even understand that it's there. Uh, at the end of his life, my, my stepfather uh, was, a, um, was a gentler man. Uh, he had a, a, a fun laugh and, and a twinkle in his eye. Uh, he became quite jovial at the end of his life. Uh, but but there, was, um, there was a time when I was a, a kid um, and, and through high school and college when that wasn't the case, frankly. During those years, he was a brutal man. Um, he was, a, he was a pained man that took his pain out. Uh, well, he took it out on us, the rest of the family. Um, he was a brutal, brutal man, angry. Uh, he was so brutal that the kids in the neighborhood, uh, when we would have these, these my dad is better than your dad contest, like my dad can throw a rock further than your dad. My dad can hit a baseball further than your dad. My dad's richer than your dad. Uh, maybe y'all never had that. Maybe it was just us guys. Um, my dad always won the meanest dad in the neighborhood award. In fact, they, they got to where they just called him Mr. Meany. That's who he was, and it fit. I became a believer on November 11th, 1979, and the very first thing that, that went away, that old life that went away, uh, was anger. Um, I was an angry young man. I didn't know how to handle the anger, and it, it went away. Praise God that went away. Um, <clears throat> some things lingered. Uh, as, as a, one of the ways that I dealt with that, um, that brutal childhood type stuff is I found other ways to find approval. I, I knew my stepfather from the time I was four or five until um, he died when I was in my mid-40s. So... Um, it, Never once did he say, good job. He never said, well done. He never said, you did it right. He never patted me on the back. Never, never, never gave me a hug. That, that didn't exist. Dads, don't let that be the case with you. Dads, hug your kids. Tell them, good job. Tell them, well done. Don't tell them, well done, but you could have done this better. Just give them kudos. Love on them. They need it. They've got to have it. They go, don't get it from you. Who are they going to get it from? Well, my stepfather never did that. Um, I, listen, I love him. Uh, I prayed for my psalm come to Christ. I, I love my stepfather. But, but let's not kid ourselves. It was, it was, it was brutal. So I, I looked elsewhere to find, um, to find approval. I found it through athletics. Uh, I found it through academics. Uh, in the athletics, um, you know, I, I could win a race. I could get the blue ribbons. You know, I could get the applause in those ways. In, in academics, I succeeded, and I could be a success 
And there's something really nice about honor societies and A's on report cards and scholarships, right? It's, it's a pat on the back. It's an approval of, of sorts. And so those were my approval things. I didn't realize what idols they had become until later on in life. When I realized, hey, these, uh, these are becoming my identity, uh, then I realized that those were sin patterns that belonged in the old life. You know, at the same time, I'm falling more in love with Jesus Christ. And as I see him greater, I see my sin greater. Isn't that what happens? The more we come closer to Christ, the, the, the more we see our sin. And so, by God's grace, let those things go. No, I'm not saying those things still don't struggle, don't, don't bother me. Well, being an athlete doesn't bother me anymore. <laughs> Can't do that. But um, the academics, yeah, that could still, still be a struggle. I want to prove on that way. But they were gone because they don't hold a candle to a relationship with Jesus Christ. If my identity is in him, in the King of kings, in the Lord of lords, if he calls me no longer his servant but his friend, if he counts me as worthy of dying for and living for, wow, why do I need approval from anywhere else? His love compels me and his love is enough. The old has passed away, the new has come. But it's not just, it's not just that we let go of the old in our own life. We need to let go of the old that we hold against others. Um, quite often we're, we're okay with letting go of our own sin, our own pain, our own rough memories and sufferings from the past. But we want to hang on to the sufferings that others have given to us. We want mercy from the Lord for us. We want to give justice to everybody else, right? And that what typically happens. Listen, if Jesus Christ has forgiven someone, what right do we have to hold it against them? And really. And yet we do. You think about this. Do you know who's hurt when you hold someone's sin against them? Well, they're hurt a little bit, yeah. But do you know who's hurt the most? Well, you are. That's right. When you hold someone's sin against them, you're the one that suffers the most. As you hang on to that sin and that anger and that wrath and that judgmental self-righteous spirit stuff, it takes root in your soul and it begins to grow up and the bitterness that grows is just foul and it will eat you up from the inside out till it's not just you're critical of one person, but you begin to have a critical spirit towards everyone else. You're the one that suffers the most when you hang on to the stuff from the old life. Be done with it. The resurrection of Jesus Christ seals our, our justification. Justification simply means that we stand just before the Lord, uh, that justice has been done. I read somewhere that justification can be defined as, as just as if we'd never sinned. Well, it's so much bigger than that. So much bigger than that because we have sinned. We have sinned. But Jesus Christ has taken the justice that was due to us. And therefore, when we stand before the Father, justified, standing before him in justice, in just and holiness and righteousness in his presence, it's because someone else has taken the sin. The resurrection of Jesus Christ seals that for us. Tim Keller puts it like this in his book, The King's Cross. He said, the resurrection was God's way of stamping paid in full 
right across history so that nobody can miss it. On the day of the Lord, that day that God makes everything right, the day that everything sad comes untrue, on that day the same thing will happen to your own hurts and sadness. You will find that the worst things that have ever happened to you will in the end only enhance your eternal delight. On that day, all of it will be turned inside out and you will know the joy beyond the walls of the world. The joy of your glory will be that much greater for every scar that you bear. So live in the light of the resurrection and renewal of this world and of yourself in a glorious, never-ending, joyful dance of grace. The resurrection gives us that joyful, never-ending dance of grace in the presence of Jesus Christ. The old has come, the new. The old is gone, the new has come. The resurrection brings to us that new life, that new and living life. I read a moment ago from 2 Corinthians in chapter 5 where we see that the old has gone, the new has come. Verse 21 of that passage, 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, sealing that crucifixion, sealing that justification, sealing that fact that sin is forgiven, we not only don't deal with the old, but we get to live in the new. There's a new life and a new relationship that we have with God, so we get to live in a new and different way. The resurrection of Jesus Christ seals that death that is dead and it's behind us. Jesus doesn't just stay there. He's raised from the dead so that we can be also. The power of sin is gone. You live a new life in Christ. What's going through Mary's heart and Mary, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Jesus at this point in the resurrection? What do you think is going through their heart? Is it well, you're, you're, you're not dead. Is it, it was some sort of a cruel joke that we thought you were dead, but you really weren't dead? Well, no, remember, he was dead. Dead, dead, dead. He was in the tomb from, from Friday to Sunday. He was dead. So it's more than just a cruel joke. What's going through their hearts at that, moment, that point? Well, the passage tells us that they were amazed, that they were afraid, that they were terrified. Uh, they were astonished, another translation puts it that way. There's an exhilaration that's going on in their hearts. I mean, think about it. Everything that Mary, the mother of Jesus, had lived for from the moment she had heard, you're going to be with child. Well, I'm a virgin. I can't bear a child. Well, you're going to be with child, Mary, by the Holy Spirit, and this one's going to be the son of the Most High God. And she raises this son, Jesus, with Joseph her husband, until Joseph is, is no longer in the scene. We don't know what happened to Joseph. He's no longer in the scene, but Mary comes to this place, and the son that she has raised, the son of the Most High God, she's heard him talk of the fact that he would suffer, and that he would be killed. And then, he's, then that happens. Is she thinking, everything has been a waste of my life? I don't think so, but I do think she's suffering from the greatest pain that a mother could bear. And then she sees that the tomb is empty. A million questions flood through her mind. There's terror. There's worship. But there has to be that exhilaration. My son is alive. Death cannot keep him in the ground. And they could not keep it 
to themselves. They had to tell somebody. The result of the resurrection is not just that the old has passed away, but the new has come. And so we love and we live differently, my friends. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as we read in 2 Corinthians 5, we, we are compelled, we are compelled by that love to live and to, and to love differently. We're compelled to think and to thrive differently. We're compelled to give and to go differently. It's a new world. We live in a new way for us. The old has gone. Ravi Zachariah says it's not just who you are that changes, but whose you are. Your identity is different. You belong to Jesus Christ. Listen, to those of you that are, to those of you that are struggling uh, with letting go of the old, uh, maybe it's the sin patterns that you can't let go of. Uh, maybe it's pain, suffering, anger, bitterness that you can't let go of. My friend, let it go. Just open up your heart, open up your words, open up your mouth, and just give it away to Christ. Let him have it. Just tell him, I'm struggling with the sin of old. Lord, I'm having a hard time getting rid of it. I'm having a hard time living without it defeating me again. Maybe it's the pain of sin that's been done to you. Betrayal or abuse. Abandonment. And you're having a hard time dealing with that pain. My friend, Jesus knows what that's like. He's been there. And he, he would say the same thing to you, let it go. And he would say to you, all you that are weary and heavy laden, come to me. And he would take all that pain as well as all that sin. And he would replace it with his peace. And peace not as the world gives, but a peace that only he gives. Let him have not just your old sin. Let him have your pain. Let him have your anger. Even your anger at the ones that are abused or abandoned mistreated, betrayed. Let him have it. And know the peace that only he can give. Listen, if you're listening this morning and you're not a believer in Christ yet and you're still struggling with those same kind of things, I'd encourage the same thing for you. Let go of it. Hanging on to it doesn't get you where you think you want to go. It will never feel, hanging on to that mess of the past will never fill that void in your heart, but Jesus Christ will. Let it go. He died that you might live. He was raised again that you might live a new life here on earth and live forever. Let it go. I love the words of this, this old hymn. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see... Upward I look and I see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because a sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me, to look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen Lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. Rejoice, my friends. Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. Father, thank you for the resurrection.
Thank you that Jesus Christ, the sinless, righteous Lamb of God, has died that my sinful soul would be set free. Father, make it so in all of our lives, and not just in our church, but in our city. Lord, be glorified in our midst and help us to walk in that newness of life. In Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, amen.